I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Lone Star House of Design, produced and distributed by the team that brings you Convo by Design with another story about design and architecture from the great state of Texas. Studio 1025 is the Dallas-based firm operated by Abby Fenimore. Abby has earned a reputation for her playful style and unique interiors. She has earned the nickname Queen of Sorority Houses. I've never before spoken with a designer who specialized in sorority houses, and I can tell you, having lived in a fraternity myself in particular, and college housing in general, can take some serious abuse. Abby's figured out how to preserve beauty and high performance. She applies these same ideas to her residential and office projects. Abby and I had a very cool chat uh, about these and other issues that shape design and architecture in the great state of Texas. Talking about design in Texas, which is which is why after doing Convo by Design for seven years, I started Lone Star House of Design, um, talking about really the design and architecture scene in the great state of Texas. And it's so unique and it's so different. Texas is always different. Why is that? I think it's just the fact that we have so many large cities. I mean, if you look at the largest cities, top 10 in the U.S., Texas always has two, sometimes three. I mean, San Antonio, Houston, Austin is really growing. Of course, the Dallas-Fort Worth area is kind of a good little combo. But, you know, the populations are great. And each one is different, which I love. And I think that's what makes Texas design so fun and unique. A lot of people think, oh, you live in Texas, everything's going to be Western or country, you know barn woods, which there is some of that. And I think that's what makes the design in the state so great. It's such a really nice mix of styles and aesthetics. And even in Dallas, um, I get asked that quite a bit, you know, what would you say design style in Dallas is like? And, you know, my answer for that is it's whatever you want it to be. Um, There's also little pockets of each city, right? So you've got to kind of consider that. But the fact too, that all these design centers are kind of popping up and really starting to give options to designers that we didn't have in the past. So I don't really travel to markets as much as I did in the past because we have great resources here. And no, it may not be, you know, the cream of the crop, like High Point or Vegas, Atlanta, which are amazing markets, but you know, I can go anywhere during the day, any day of the week and, and go see what I need as a resource. Same thing in Houston. I know their design centers really picked up a lot. So I think that has a lot to do with it. It, It's, having resources and the population, a great economy. And so you put all that together and people have that kind of, um, I guess, income (laughs) that you're able to invest and spend a little bit more money on the design of your home. So they're hiring people. They don't want to do it on their own. And it's, you know, a little, when you have wealth and money in certain cities, people tend to want their home to be the best because they entertain and they're showing it off. So it's important that that's a good reflection of them too. So a great economy really, I think, stimulates that design growth in Texas. And so we're very fortunate you know, to have that here and that design scene in so many of the, our larger cities. I feel like there's more to it than that too, though. You know, when you talk about Texas, Texas has always had its own, its own identity, a very clear identity. Um, it, it starts. It starts with the signs you get every every mile on the highways. Don't mess with Texas. There is there is That's right. you know or the 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 Republic of Texas. It's it's unique. It's um, unapologetically rebellious, and 
what surprises me it. is after so many after so many years of living in in I lived in Dallas, and it was really interesting because it was brick house, brick house, brick house, brick <laughs> everything. Because it was a re- mm-hmm. it was a, it's brick is a resource that's read, readily available. It stands it stands up to the weather, and I get that. But what you're seeing now is sort of a an attitude shift. We don't need to we don't need to be the same. So this combination of people moving in from outside, um, a great economy, and a rebellious attitude has kind of led to this explosion of design and architecture. And, and I think to your point, it's really interesting. It starts with the resources that are now available to you, so you don't have to go elsewhere. Do you, do you still go to any other trade shows, or do you try to do everything inside, inside the state? And I really try to stick to Texas. Um, I haven't been to a market in two years, and it was high point. And although I love it, what I found was the amount of money and time that I'm spending to do that, it's so wonderful because you meet a lot of great people and there's connection and you're seeing things you don't always have access to. And I think it's great and important to do that and keep yourself current. But um, I also think, too, like you said, Texas is rebellious and it's you know, we can stand on our own. We can do what we want. You guys stay out of our business. Our state's great the way it is. <laughs> and that is that is a very big part of, of this state, I will tell you. I mean, I'm originally from Arkansas, um, which is you know, the neighbor just right over here to the east. But, you know, I love living here. And I think what's, what's so great about the design industry is that we have so many local resources as well. So I talked about going to High Point and having exposure to all these really new brands and cool trends. But we have a lot of that right here in our backyard. We have so many wonderful artists and furniture designers and creators and fabric designers and resources for having things made, right? So we're not having to say, well, I need to order from this vendor that is in North Carolina, which we do, um, but we can go and get fabric printed here and custom furniture made here and unique um, art made here. So lighting, there's so many things too. And I think when you live in large cities like this, it continues to grow, like you said, having resources. So people want to set up shop. The economy is good. Let me start my own, you know, lighting company or something like that, that just takes off and it just becomes wonderful. And when you get that exposure, people in your home state want to support their own. So you see a lot of that too. And that's something I really try to support. I use a lot of local artists. I try to get a lot of my upholstery done here. Case goods are a little more challenging, but I'm even finding my clients, they don't want everything from China, Ikea, you know, those things have their place, but they're like, what can we get? I know it's a little more, but I love knowing that, you know, the majority of the pieces in my home are from an artist here in Texas or Dallas, or that someone made it in the United States. And that's, um, you know, you hear that made in the USA, made in the USA. And I really see that as a comeback in this industry, especially with tariffs. You know, I ordered some things the other day and it was like, oh, here's your order plus 8% on the tariffs because it's coming from China. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's no fun. Um, so, you know, having things here locally really does help that as well. Yeah, I would imagine it does. Where do you where do you shop locally? What is the design scene like in Dallas? Is is there a central? I know you got market. How 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 strong is mark is the market center there? The design I mean, the design good. center. They've, yeah. So the World Trade Center, which is the big brown, I call it the upside down Lego building. Right. Um, and of course the trademark, which is the glass white building next to it. You know, they house a lot of lighting and, um, of course, all of the main furniture vendors and manufacturers that you would expect to see. And some of them are kind of grouped in multi-line showrooms. But 
I say that it's kind of making a little bit of a transition and that building is old and um, the whole first floor now has been gutted and redone and it is absolutely amazing. Some of the really nice showrooms have moved down there. So they're kind of making it a little bit more of a place to go and a destination versus walking through across the old building, which helps. <laughs> it does, right? And then, of course, across I-35, we have the you know design district, which is amazing. I'm literally down there all day um, when I go down there, and it's so easy. I literally live about 10 minutes. I jump on the tollway and pop down there. So you have a lot of smaller showrooms that, again, like I said, carry local artists, and they custom label or private label their own furniture pieces and there's just a really great opportunities to find things down there now that we didn't have before a new restaurant so not only can you go down there and go to showrooms you have a reason to stay right so you're able to socialize and go to events easily because it's all right there now and it's just it's a wonderful place i i'd say for the almost 11 years that i've been doing this in dallas the past two or three years you've really seen so much growth and transition in those areas. And it's great, again, great for our industry. And I think it's that driving, you know, the economy is really driving that. And um, also too, and we can get on this subject later, but it's that really weird mix of shopping retail versus trade only. And that's kind of been something that's changing in our industry, but I think they do a good job of balancing that, make everyone feel welcome and um, I guess secure when you're shopping down there in regards to pricing and, your profit and markups and things like that. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. How how do you manage that process? Because I, I will tell you what I have found over the years, increasingly so, is designers get shopped. Um, you you get shopped, and the the trades don't necessarily stay true to designer exclusive pricing the way that they once did. Where they they'll you know if someone comes in and, and asks for it, many times they'll they'll off, they'll they'll give it. Um, which has always been such a, a huge part of of the designer based economy, the way that you price, the way that you charge, the way that you the way that you earn for what you do, because oftentimes the the design service itself you can't it's you can't attach a dollar value to creativity. I mean, you can, but oftentimes people won't understand that. So you know, the markup has been a has been a a safe source. Of revenue for designers, but that's that's changed so dramatically. How how do you how do you manage with that that constantly changing process? When I first started my business, I made so many mistakes in regards to that, and the biggest one is not educating my clients. And I don't really think it matters what your client's price point or budget is. You do the same thing I do when you want something you research it or you check your options because you want to find the best price or the best deal. And so being able to shop trade versus retail has been a little bit of a sticky subject. So I think it's just important to really be transparent with how you want to run your business and what kind of relationship you want to have with your clients. So I've really had to, God, it's, it's hard because no, you know, I'll tell people this the first time I meet them, look, we're going to be around each other. I'm around your family. We're talking about your money. I'm in and out of your home. We've got to have trust. And this is how I make a living. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that to someone. You know, this is how I make a living, but I'm not going to sell you something to make an extra couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars here that isn't right for your home just because of that. So no, when you tell me a budget, I need you to be honest because that's going to dictate what I'm bringing to you in your design, right? So 
if you're really worried, if you have, I'm just making a number, if you have $50,000 to spend, but you tell me you have 20, you're going to get a design that looks like 20, not 50, right? So it's letting them know, look, let's just be honest with it. Now, in regards to shopping, I have that conversation as well. What do you want out of this? Do you want full service? I will be shopping at places. Now, I can't even say this anymore that truthfully better trade only because they will sell trade and they sell retail. Right. But what I do tell them is when it makes sense and I'm getting 50% off and I'm marking it up 25%, you're still saving, you're still getting it at a better price. And it's a resource that you may not have otherwise found or had access to. So I'm bringing you to things other than, Oh, let's just go to Z gallery in West Elm. There's nothing wrong with those stores. I love them. And I use them as you know a resource often, but you know, how elevated do you want your home? Where are you really at? And that doesn't always work for everyone. Some people want more unique things. Some people just want someone to do it because they don't know how to do it themselves. But what <laughs> I charge a, I charge a larger retainer up front and I'm very upfront with my fees because you will, and I learned this the hard way and I haven't had it happen in years, but you'll come up with your design and you're just charging them by the hour. And then they're like, yeah, I'm good with it. And they go do it on their own or they'll turn around and I'm going to talk to you like you're in trouble man, what a waste of money. You did nothing. I could do this on my own. And I'm really? Like, well, of course you can do it on your own. You have it in your hand. Of course you can do it on your own. Um, so of course I had a lot of issues with that. Learn the hard way starting out and really young. And um, another thing too, that kind of goes hand in hand with this. I think it's really important for our community to be friends with each other. There's nothing wrong with helping someone else with a resource or a problem or a situation. And there, when I started a ton of designers, they were just, like, no, absolutely not. Figure it out on your own. I'm not helping you. And it wasn't that I was saying, tell me how to run my business and what to do. But it was, hey, I had this issue. What do you do? You know, just being able to have open dialogue and conversation. Um, but yeah, I have my little crew of designers here and um, we text each other and keep in touch and grab a drink here and there or lunch. And I think it's really important for our industry because like you said, our clients are changing. So how do we best provide that service to them, but still make a great living? And what we've all kind of talked about is, look, you've just got to figure out what works for you as a business. This is how I make a living. Again, it's a tangible item when you're selling a design until it comes to buying something. So these are my ideas, my thoughts, my hard work and labor of love that I'm putting into your home. So it's important that they are in that with you and that they're not (laughs) taking the wheel and controlling that project. Um, They're hiring you for a reason. So you have to stand your ground without being rude or disrespectful, but they've got to kind of be a part of that too. And, you know, I've had only one client ever that I've fired that was completely hateful to me. And um, same thing, they were seeing the design and were like, well, I can do this on my own. This is ridiculous. You work for me. And I'm like, well, actually I work with you. So how about you (laughs) disrespect me like that? And let's back up a second. Um, And it's also learning to judge what works for you. So I think that's why meeting and really talking to someone about what their expectations and wants are will save you all of that shopping behind your back issue. And, you know, I have contracts with people that we sign and, you know, that does protect you. And it's, it's gotten me out of a lot of sticky situations, but, um, you know, a couple of my good friends that I've helped with things, they're like, Oh my gosh, how do you do your job? I literally ordered four pieces and I want to pull my hair out. There's back orders, there's delivery issues. It's broken. What do I do? And I'm like, yeah, and that's part of the service and fee that we provide. So, again, it's educating your client on how you work and what your expectations are so that when you learn what theirs are, 
you guys can figure it out together. And that's been really successful for me. Um, I have two clients right now that are repeat or, you know, I've worked with them you know, three and five years ago and one's now married and the other one and their family's growing and they're moving into a new home. And that is the biggest compliment. That is the best when you can know that that person loved and trusted what you did and they're coming back to you and they understand your process and they get your value. And so that's what I focus on. So I'm very particular who I work with because there's got to be a friendship and a trust. And that does take time to build, but um, you know, the shopping behind the back thing, that's hard. It's kind of like cheating. <laughs> I tell them that <laughs> you're cheating on me. Um, just be honest and tell me what your concerns are. And a lot of times they don't know how to communicate that. Right. So they'll have sticker shock and they'll freak out. So they'll start shopping. Well, Hey, I found this chair for $50 less a chair. Well, that's great, but that's not what you told me you wanted. Um, you know, and then you have to kind of address and cross that bridge at that point and see how you want to handle it. But a lot of showrooms too are very sensitive to that, which I respect as well. And, and I'm honest with my reps. I'll tell them, look, here's my situation with this person. You're more than welcome to disclose this or say it. And I don't hide my pricing anyway. Um, I don't hand everyone over my invoices, but if someone really doubted what I was saying or charging them, I would have no problem showing them that because that's their money and that's an agreement that we have. So getting into a whole new subject with designers, I, I mean, I have heard horror stories of people who've worked with designers who say, well, I'll charge, I'll charge what I want. They don't really disclose it. And so they're like, wait, so this fabric was a hundred a yard retail. And I know they paid half that, but I paid two fifty a yard. Like what, why would you do that for, to me? I'm like, well, because she feels like she can, I guess. And that's the conversation you didn't know to ask. So yikes. But, um, yeah, and retailers are tough, too, because they're trying to be so... And you know how it is. Everyone's a designer now, right? Every fashion blogger is now a design person, and they're you know, selling influencer things on RewardStyle. I'm like, no, and they're like, oh, I love your bed. I love your rug. And they're all of a sudden a designer. And you know, I don't have a problem with that. I say the more the merrier, but um, it really does change people's perspective when working with a designer. They think you're HGTV, and you're going to shake out a rug, and the room's going to snap and come together immediately. <laughs> and that's, that's another issue um, we could spend hours talking about. But, you know, it all kind of feeds into itself and it's one big complicated situation. So you just really have to know what works best for you. And for me, that's just being honest and having uncomfortable conversations because once you get that out of the way, you know, like right now I have a client, she's like, I found this rug here. I really love it. And, you know, then you have to just say, okay, well, this is, and, and then the retailer's giving a better discount than they give the designer. So the retailers, I feel like, kind of cross. So you either become kind of a higher-end designer so that you are more trade accessible, or you kind of have that mix, which I tend to have a lot of the mix because not everyone's going to spend $3,000 on a side table that I work with, and that's okay. Um and sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. But if I only get 20% off, that's what I charge my client. I'm not going to, you know, rip them another 10 or 15% because I just don't think that's ethical. Well, so that, you know, <clears throat> keeps them in line there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I had a, I, I've been doing these small gatherings here in Southern California for about a year and a half now. Um, we, I hold them at showrooms and I have 10 designers at a time. And, 
it's sort of in two parts. The first part is uh, a roundtable discussion. I record it, but I don't attribute any of the commentary to any particular designer who's in attendance. I just sort of give gen. I write up general and do the podcast on general ideas that came out of that, and then I record certain segments, uh, three to five minutes, with the individuals about individual for consumer topics. But what's really interesting, and to your point, the roundtable discussions all have to do with the business and sort of everything that you just mentioned, everything that you just talked about has come up in these. So what what's really interesting to me is these are not unique issues. They're not unique to Texas. They're not unique to Southern California. They're not unique to New York. They're happening in the industry where, mm-hmm. where the industry exists. And I think um, it's really interesting to me because the trade has sort of taken a different philosophy that we are going to do business in, in for business sake, you know, whether they're designers or whether they're consumers. I think it's short-sighted um, because to work directly with the trade, you as a designer, you may have 15 projects a year. And to do 15 whole homes a year plus clients that will have, you know, other other projects because they buy, you know, they'll buy a, a hill country house or they'll buy another house somewhere else and they'll bring you in to design it as opposed to just working with one client one time giving a discount. That one homeowner that, that they give a, a designer discount to is going to go home, take pictures of their space, put it on social media. They're going to source the, the, the product and the company and they're probably going to price it, telling their friends what a great deal they got in many cases. It just seems like it's so counterproductive. Um, I mean, I get the need to sell, right. but I'm curious, do you find the trade getting better or do you find it going the other way? Yeah, it depends on the day you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is, it's, it is a real problem. Um, and I guess what I'm try- what I always try to figure out, and I, like you said, I can't quite, it is a business issue, right? It's our livelihood and that's how we make a living. But we've got to get smart just as technology changes and consumers' mindset and their access to things change. So I kind of look at it as both. I mean, if you choose to sit around and be old school, which is great, and I totally get that if that works for you, then you're going to have a less you're going to have less opportunities to expand and grow your business and change your clientele or keep your clientele. Now, I personally chose to get on board with how everything's going. And you find different ways, unfortunately, to make a living, whether it be collaborating with a furniture manufacturer so that you can have a different source of income and profit in your business, or um, whether a lot of designers now, even in Dallas, they have their design business now in an online store or, you know, brick and mortar. So everyone's trying to figure out, hey, what's the best way to kind of avert this crisis of, oh my gosh, you know, retail taking over or clients being their own designer. And so then you have to say, well, I have to make myself valuable. What makes me worth them investing in me? And, you know, you either figure it out or you don't. Um, I personally choose to be happy in my business. I love what I do. I feel like my style is my own. Um, Do I think I've created anything different that hasn't happened before? No, but everything comes from something. But I love what I do and I love color and pattern and I attract those people. And I've worked very hard to get my business and my aesthetic where it is. And I feel if you look on my website and you know me, you have a very clear idea of what I do. 
So that's the first step, getting people that come to you who are attracted to what you're doing and want to partake in that. You want them to feel like you've got it all taken care of. And again, it goes back to that transparency and confidence. It really can change the way your business works. And I just chose to take some of that bad with the good and, you know, accept it. You know, not everything to the trade is going to sell just to me, but I know that I'm 99.9% going to be working with a client or I'm working with a client who's not going to go behind my back. And that showroom rep is not going to sell behind my back. No. So it's relationships all around. It, no, it's totally true. And I'm going to, I'm going to actually shift gears for just a second because you touched on something that I wanted, I really wanted to talk to you about your aesthetic. Um, so it's really interesting. What, like any artist, like any creator, I, I've noticed that many designers don't want to, when you ask them, one of the most pedestrian questions, and I used to ask this all the time when I started doing the podcast, and then I kind of learned is what, tell me about your style. You know, most designers want to have a free flowing style where they're not pigeonholed to any particular idea, but at the same time, you can always see consistencies with any creator, um, whether an artist, you know, mm. fine artist, whatever. Your, I, I love your work. Um, here's what you. you're welcome. Here's, happy. here's what I love about it. I love the texture. I love the color. I, you are absolutely fearless in your design. You know what else you're fearless with is I noticed that you've worked on a lot of really hard used projects. You've, you've worked on sororities. <laughs> you've worked on a, 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 I, I want to get to, um, Barking Hound Village. I want to... You, yes. you have taken this bold approach to really hard-used spaces. Let's start with the sororities. You know, adding beauty is one thing, but there's a lot of people. There are odd hours. There's a lot of social gatherings. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of college students using a space, which makes it hard-worn, and it looks gorgeous. What was your approach? Because you've done many. Yes, I'm counting. This is actually my third year. It's one sorority, and I've done multiple chapters in you know different universities and cities with them. And it started out because it's exactly what you said. They loved my color, and they loved what I was doing. And, and these sororities are big business these days. It is a big deal. I mean, on campus, people don't want to live in the sorority house. Now, they still want to be in the sorority. So how do you make these homes appealing for the women who are 18 to 21 ish years old, right. That are living in them, using them, socializing and, and they're there. So how do you make this an amazing place that they're proud of and still be durable? Because yes, it doesn't, uh, there are, you will always have a few of the women that will be quite disrupted, but you, again, <laughs> high traffic, a lot of wear, a lot of use. Um, and so each chapter is unique and special, but what I am so proud of is that, Again, like you said, I'm able to just be fearless. I bring my love of color and texture and pattern and just that really great mix and match, but it's on top of durability. And we have, again, technology is so great. I mean, the fabrics and, and commercial commercial um, furniture that we have access to today is way more affordable and it doesn't look like you're in an office building. But this sorority loved the fact that, oh my gosh, here's a designer that brings you that's still and every house is different. This one's more classy. This one's more playful. This one's more Southern, stately. And 
it's not going to look like your grandma's funeral home or an assisted living. And that's what sorority <laughs> houses have been for years. That's what mine looked like in college. Right, I love it. Right. But, um, so again, it's, it's so great because your space really can change the way you feel. And for the women that live in these homes and that are in them and study and they gather and socialize, it's important for them to feel safe and proud of it. And you also want their parents to know that they're in a place that is secure and comfortable and that when they go visit, they feel like, wow, my daughter really has this amazing place that she gets to call home. And so, yes, they provide the technical security and all of that, but design really can change how you feel and how you perceive, you know, your day in and day out life. Um, you know, it's like, think about a little child that sleeps on a mattress with sheets on the window. I mean, it's, it's horrible and they don't feel safe and secure and, you know, not sidetracking, but Dwell with Dignity is a local Dallas organization that does a lot of design for those organizations. And I, I take that kind of mentality that they have that design is, is so powerful. And even though people think, oh, it's, so materialistic it's this it's that sure of course it can be but the way that it makes you feel and the way that you are proud of it especially in a sorority house because this has to you know hold up for years they only redo a house about every five to seven years and um I also love too because there's I mean they're young compared to me I'm like oh my gosh I feel like I've gotten old so fast <laughs> but, I'm around these but they're fun and they're full of life and their expectations are great I mean it's not it's different. You're not designing for one person or two people in a home, right? A husband, wife, or children. You're designing for a home that entertains and takes care of 200 to 400 women and their family and friends. So it's fun because they're all like, I want this. I want this. Make my house better than this chapter and this party next door. Make ours better. And it's cute and it's fun. And they are so appreciative and they're so just overtaken with joy when they walk in. And I never thought that was like, get me, but wow. I'm like, okay, I love this. And so, um, this year, again, I've been working with them. We've got a lot of great stuff on the books this year. And again, every house is different and going to barking hound village. And that is just so funny. You said that because yesterday I met with the owner at their third location here in Dallas and they have one in Austin as well. And she's cool because she's like, I want this to be just so amazing and cool. And I want people to come in here and feel like it's a fun little hotel Obviously, the back of the house where the, the pups are has to be able to be clean and it's a different environment, but it doesn't mean you have to ignore it. Um, fun paint and really cool art and unique lighting. So those things make it. But the lobby is a great place to really like people walk in. They're like, wow, like my dog is at a legit place every day when I go to work and that makes them feel good. Again, design is very powerful. So being able to create a space even if it's not your aesthetic. And I say this all the time. I've heard some really horrible things about some of my designs. Like, and that's fine. I, I really don't care. Um, that's my personality anyway. What I care about is the person that I'm working with, that client. What do they think? How does it make them feel? And again, when they come back to you three, five years later or thir three years in a row to continue to work with them, that is the best. That means I'm doing my job and someone appreciates what I do and they value me just as much as I value them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And you really just, again, commercial spaces are different, but that's what a lot of places want. They don't want their bank or their dog daycare to feel sterile and ugly. They want it to be cool. And so I feel like that's a fun edge that I bring to the table for them. Speaking of fun, walk me through Turquoise Firefly. 
Oh my gosh, that's I haven't thought about that project in so long. Is that still on my website? Actually, look. Well, not only is it still on your it website. Is. Oh, yeah. of course it is. And you know, you said something a minute ago, and I'm I'm sort of I've got these two things going on in my head, right? The first is you're absolutely brave. You're absolutely fearless. And because of that, you've put together an aesthetic that is so bold and the the color pops are everywhere. It's not something that's for everyone, but I would argue that no design style is for everyone. And that's the beauty of it. Because if you had one design style that was for everyone, how boring would that be? At the same, exactly. at the same time, I'm hearing you say that you've heard horrible things about your design, and I'm I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to imagine a scenario where that would be okay, and I can't. How do you how do you it's handle not. how do you handle criticism? I don't. I'm just like that's fine. I respect that that's your opinion, but let's not put ugly comments on someone's social media. That I think is taking it too far. Again, like you said, there are plenty of designers that I'm friends with, and I do not love what they do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I respect them and they're hard workers and they're good at what they do. And their clients love the end result. What is wrong with that? Now, when I go to their home, I have the best time and I respect what they do. And I love the environment they've created because it's them, right? Because you have that relationship with that person. So I think it's important that a space reflects you. And for someone to do that, it's like someone saying, you're ugly, your hair's gross. It's like, what are you, in fifth grade? Yeah, it's Grow crazy. Up. If it's, you don't like it, yeah. move on. Why do you need to sit here and say something horrible? And again, that goes back to the issue in our industry. Um, I do feel that it's changing, but there's so many designers that keep everything close to the vest. And they've just kind of somewhat been haughty about it. And it's like, you know what? I don't have time for all that. If you want to go hang on somewhere else, get on after it, girl. But I only have so much time in the day, so... I don't want to spend it with someone who's just going to be horrible to me or talk bad about me. So if that makes you feel better. I'm glad I'm worth talking about, but how about you just not post it online? Cause that's just crappy. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, it doesn't bother me. And I think it's because number one, I'm an only child. Um, <laughs> I grew up, I grew up in Arkansas. We didn't have nothing, but we didn't have everything. My father was in the military and my grandparents' home had tchotchkes and things everywhere, but it was pictures of us and things from their travels, and I loved it. I personally don't like tchotchkes and things all over my home. My mom um, has a lot of things, same thing, and my dad was very organized and tidy. Kind of pick all that up, but um, I don't know. I think that's why I love color so much because we didn't really have a lot of it, right? Everything was neutral and kind of basic because it was the 70s and 80s, and once avocado green went away, what did you have? It was neutrals and stuff like that and brown. So um, that's why I love color, I think. But also, I, my mother is a very strong woman. She's a strong personality, um, which I love. I'm definitely like similar to her, but different. And my dad was very calming, and he was very he was very well thought out before he said anything or made a decision. So I had that really good combo. And growing up, you know, my parents never let it slide. If I got hurt or if someone didn't like what I did, um, my dad's like, you just need to suck it up. Like, why do you care what they think? Like, does it really, ruin, like, how does it ruin your day that, you know, Susie over there doesn't like the bow in your hair? Well, maybe Susie's jealous. Who knows? Well, that's Susie's problem, <laughs> not yours. It's so and when true. you have that constantly, it's not about creating an arrogant child or an unrealistic child. Um, but, you know, I guess I know, getting advice from parents who were strong enough to say things, I'm glad I had that. It hurt my feelings a lot, but it's really been a, a very big factor of how I run my business and how I allow people to treat me. Um, 
and how you treat others. So you get what you put back out. You know, it's like, come on, if you're going to be hateful. But again, I move on and it doesn't matter what I, I never go and meet with a new client and think they're not going to hire me. I think, do I want to work with this person? Right. And I I can totally, I I love this. And if I love it, I tell them, I'm not trying to be cool. Like, I want to work with you. I love this. We could have the best time. This is going to be a great experience for you and me. And I think we'd be a great fit. Something wrong with saying that either. And I haven't been hired a lot. And I'm like, well, what? Why didn't he like me? And it's like, you're not for everybody. That's okay. And, and and maybe it wasn't a personal reason, right? Maybe it was financial or who knows? Who knows? And again, you just can't live like that. And um, I worry about enough stuff. So worrying what other people think is just, it's too exhausting. It, no, it, it, again, to- it totally, um, it totally is. I want to, I want to ask you about one more project of yours and that is your mid-century modern. Mid-century modern. There's a mid-century modern yeah. on your website and here's, here's what I love yes. about it. Because I put I put everything in context of location and where it is, and the Metroplex is not known for its mid-century modern design uh, and architecture. I mean, it it exists in pockets everywhere, but the Metroplex is not is not necessarily known for the mid-century modern. Your approach to this particular project is you you captured the essence of of the the true mid-century modern ideals and aesthetic, but you, you personalized it and made it unique to your own design. And because of that, you wound up with something that is totally unique and, and just fabulous. It's amazing. And I'm curious when you were doing this, did you, did you use mid-century modern as because of the architecture and then just sort of riff off it from there? Or did you have an idea as to how you wanted to, cause I don't see any exteriors of the house. Um, so I don't know what the exterior looks like, but it, what was the, what was the, what was the inspiration for this? So you're referring to the home that has like the teal and the yellow. Yeah. With the, the with the, the Stanford with, modern with the out, with the, no, with the outdoor um, sitting area, seating area by the pool. With the big, uh, the grandfather, yeah. the great, yeah, love it. Oh, with the, is it the yellow umbrella? Nope. Hold on. Nope. It's a, okay, I love this. We're, we're searching in real time. I absolutely love this. Um, it's, I know. Well, I have a Stanford modern. Let me go. Oh, mid-century modern. Sorry. Yes. Found it. Okay. Yeah. This house is so cool. Okay. So this is what I love about Dallas. This kind of has that Texas, um, stone, you know, the white stone, on the exterior was an older home and they went in and kind of added a second floor and expanded the back. And I think the owner previous to them did some of it. And then they came in and did a little more Of course the backyard they redid, which is stunning by the way. I just love that space. (laughs) Um, So this house kind of has that little um, Dallas cottage bungalow feel from the front, very unassuming. And then you go inside and it's like, wow, it's big and it's open and of course, the way that they redid the windows, and I do love the original hardwood floors. I know a lot of people get sick of the dark Texas floors, but I think they're beautiful, especially when you know they're original to the home. And so the owners um, are probably they have children, you know, one that's in college now, and their daughter is in high school, and they're just a really cool couple and fun, and they entertain a lot. And they wanted to have a few kind of chic, little shishi moments here and there. But also, like you said, staying kind of true to the home and bringing in a few pieces like the dining chairs or the Eames chair. Um, just those few little fun touches that I think 
were important to really keep and incorporate. But we, I mean, honestly, this one's actually an easy color, color palette for me. Yeah. Um, but the, the elements are strong and they're unique. Like you said, um, the chain rug in the living room, it's kind of rock and roll, but when you place it in this environment, it looks very tasteful, but it has that neat little edgy feel, which perfectly describes my client. She's just that kind of woman. She's just super classy and cute, but she's got this really funky personality and super fun. And her and her husband have the best banter and their kids are cute. So yeah, she was open to doing a few little oddities, you know, like the antler trays. It, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm into hunting and it's Texas. It's just a really cool play on an antler. By the way, it's a shed, no deer with harms in the making of the tray. <laughs> I <always laughs> tell people. Right. I do get comments like that. How dare you? I'm like, no, they fall off every year. Why don't you Google it? So I love that. And then the art in that front sitting room, that really beautiful blue watercolor, tonal blue watercolor is on silk and it's framed in acrylic. And that's a local Dallas artist. Oh, so wow. I think that's a really beautiful touch. So again, um, just kind of, this is what I love about design. I don't really play by rules. Now I have rules when I start a project, you've got to have the form and the function and the space has to work and you've got to have everything placed. Sales got to be right. But from there, that's when the layering happens. And I think it's really important to start with really basic pieces. And when I say basic, I'm not necessarily saying the frame or design of a chair. I'm saying your fabrics and finishes and why that's important is because it, number one, allows you to layer and be more bold in your other choices and layering without visually taking over so that not everything is bold. But it also gives them a really good foundation for change because people will change and they like change. And I'm like that too in my own home. You know, I change out pillows a couple times a year. I'm about to remodel our guest room, just little things like that. And so you don't want someone to feel forced like they can't switch pillows or they find a piece of art or a lamp they want. They can't change it out. And so that's important too. And this house is a great example of that. Um, she had a few things on her list. I want this. I love this. For instance, you know, the black four poster bed, um, the antelope rug, um, the mid-century feel with those are metallic linen dining chairs, by the way, which are so sharp and absolutely killer, by the way. And the upholstery was a nightmare <laughs> on that. Um, but then there's also those kind of cozy moments like the texture in the fur and the blankets and texture through art and lighting. Um, texture is also very important to make color work, I think. And um, it's nice to have velvets and linens and a little bit of everything um, because that's you know how people live. You want them to be able to walk around barefoot. I mean, I think this home is beautiful. Yep. But when you go in there, you don't feel like you can't sit or put your feet up. And that's also the kind of people they are. So people love being over there. And again, it's pretty toned down for me, but um, there's some really unique, cool pieces. And I, I mean, I love it. My favorite things to put in a project, everyone makes fun of me. I love acrylic. I love gold leafing. I love Starburst. I love Crystal's Agates Geodes and all the above. And I absolutely love, like you said, Mongolian fur, cowhide. Those are just great textural elements. So, um, boy, when I have a client who like checks all the boxes, I'm like, yes. We're going to be best friends because you want all of this. Well, Um, so yeah. And then their, their back patio is stunning. I didn't put the picture from the front of the house because it was February and it was. No, I totally get it. Brown lawn. No, I totally get it. But, but I, what I absolutely love too, is that you have, you have managed to take the inside out with that outdoor space out by the pool 
which again, anytime you have, there's a skill to that. That's not something that's easily done. And anytime you can successfully take the inside out and the outside in, you've created not just more space, but it really is greater than the sum of its parts. It's, 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 it's fantastic. And so I really, I love that project. I think it's great. Thank you. I do too. And like you said, I think it's, we live in an environment in a region where <laughs> there are a few months of the year where we can't be outside because it's a hundred in the morning. But <laughs> right. I mean, we actually are very fortunate. You know, we have very mild winters, like February tends to be our cold months. So we will sometimes like we had snow a couple weeks ago for about 30 seconds, but we just get those bitterly cold, wet, windy days that are rainy and gross. But um, then like today, it's going to be mid sixties. Yesterday was 40. So today will be a great day to sit on the front porch or hang out in the backyard with a blanket or around a fire pit. So um, outdoor spaces are very important here. Like you said, they become part of your home and an extension of how you use it. So yeah, definitely can't leave those out. Very cool. And so listen, we have covered a lot of ground here. I'm amazed at how quickly uh, this time has flown by, Abby. And I so appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you, Josh. I'm so honored to do this. And I, I love the combo by design. And I just think it's such a cool concept. And it's a really unique way to kind of approach what's going on in our industry and, and how things work. No one usually focuses on that so much as they want to focus on you know, really different things. So I love that. And I appreciate it. And I, I love what you're doing. I think it's great. Thank you, Abby. That was fun. And I truly appreciate the time. Please subscribe to the show so you can catch every episode of Lone Star House of Design and Convo by Design. Ask Alexa or Siri. Just say, hey, Siri, play Convo by Design, and she will. You can follow the show on the socials as well, at Convo by Design with an X on Instagram, and check out the YouTube channel for videos from some of your favorite episodes. Thank you for listening, and until next week, keep creating. Keep creating.